Welcome to LFC Talk at Hotel Tia. Um, today we are um, just parking the elephant um, in the room at the end. We're not going to talk about the Reds for a long time. We're going to talk about all the amazing people that follow the Reds and all these great uh, people we meet along uh, our lives uh, following the Reds and how Liverpool Football Club can give us so many opportunities and also sometimes maybe be hurdles in our careers. We'll, we'll talk lots more about that today. We have a Rob Glover with us. How are you doing, Rob? I'm excellent, thank you very much. How are you doing? Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Year. <laughs> well, we are doing so much better for having you here. I mean, this man, he, he shares his time between um, Liverpool, uh, Boston and Nashville. That's that's sort of your your uh, places to go. Yeah, it is. They're the two places in the States and and... Honestly, what I'd truly say straight off the bat is I probably feel at home in both Boston and in Nashville, as the two cities over in the States pretty much are a hybrid of what of what Liverpool truly is. You know, both cities have got an appreciation for, for sports, for the performing arts, and, you know, Boston especially has got that working class mentality as well and, and the Irish roots. So it's probably, you know, that's probably why I truly feel at home in both cities. And David Fairclough is obviously with us. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ragnold, and to Rob as well. Good morning. I don't think, David, you and I can dance as, as well as our guests today. Speak uh, for yourself. <laughs> well, if you master ballet as well as you master breakdance and ballroom dancing, then you're entitled to say you're just no, as good no, as him. No, dancing has never been my forte. <laughs> but this man is a professional dancer, he's a choreographer. Choreographer, that's hard to say it for is. a Norwegian. But you're also a lifestyle coach, yes. a performance coach, sorry. Mm -hmm. You uh, do voiceovers, you are a presenter, you're so many things. So we have to get to the bottom of everything today. But in the mix of everything, mm -hmm. you follow Liverpool through and through. Wholeheartedly. As a scouser. Yeah. Throughout your heart. So tell us, how did you fall in love with Liverpool Football Club? You had a blue side across the park you could have fallen in love with too. Could have, and luckily it didn't go that way. That's what I'll say. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the old line, I've been a Liverpool fan since I was a fetus. I don't think I had a choice, really, you know, being born into the, the family of Reds that, that, that I have. Um, that all started really kind of a, at a, a very young age, kind of getting getting taken to the game with both my both my granddads. So my granddad and my great-granddad. Uh, they, you know, the two season tickets at, at Anfield, my earliest memories are, are kind of being snuck in between the two of them. <laughs> so it was three so of us sweet. on two seats. <laughs> I'd sit in between the two knees. And uh, luckily, even back then, you know, we were in the front row of the old main stands. There was a wall to lean on the old press. So I still remember kind of being hoisted up anytime we'd score as well and, and kind of being able to see this this kind of amazing view in between uh, in between my two heroes, you know. <laughs> and who, talking about heroes, when you move away from your granddad's, who was the first hero on the pitch for you? Oof, it's a it's a tough question. Um, I mean, from a from a managerial standpoint, is what I truly say. You know, my earliest memories, kind of kind of growing up within that side. Roy Evans was was our manager, and I say our manager because that's what it still felt like, even standing behind. But kind of the lineage within that side, and I'd always say being from Bootle, um, you know, it was always those those Bootle heroes. So therefore, it went from Roy and him giving them Cara his nod and, and kind of going through that way. Um, then Gerard for me obviously in that lifestyle but then the more and more that I was always taught about the club and you know watching back on everything I'm a you know a huge study of the game um, 
and this man sat next to me over here as well kind of the ins and outs of all of that and, and over the years of the team um, hero is a difficult word when you're talking about sports in my opinion and I think that the term can be lost in many different ways um, so ultimately what I'm really trying to say is the team itself had that status more than any individual David, is what I truly say isn't that interesting because you've been talking about that too, you know, mm. how the legends are being overused. Do you, do you see footballers individually as heroes or is it more like a team hero, hero team? Well, I think, um, you know, we grew up in a different age, Rob and I, um, and I <laughs> go back along, you know, quite a way, I think. Uh, the 60s was obviously a, a, a dramatic era to be, to watch Liverpool and, and the development of, you know, the domination of, that Shankly created, and uh, I have to say, uh, the way I looked upon it in those days was uh, emulating and playing like, you know, the your, the, you know, your, your favourite kind of thing, and whilst probably not fully appreciating what Cali did and what he was to the team, uh, because uh, as years have gone, you know, we've respected Cali more and more and more, uh, the, the, my hero was Roger Hunt, and uh, obviously the goal scorers were the were the men that the attention kind of falls on, and uh, trying to recreate his moments in the streets. And you know, in my development developments as a, as a young footballer, yeah, it was it's kind of emulating the, what the likes of uh, Roger did, Peter Thompson perhaps, and you know, who was a little bit more sort of like a, a ball player than than maybe Cali was, who was a bit more as I say, uh, uh, a worker, and uh, but one that, yeah, as, you know, again, uh, who we've grown to really, really fully appreciate as the, as the years have gone on, his longevity. I have to just throw in there, we had uh, Ian Callaghan here on um, our post-match together with mm-hmm. Karen Elizabeth Gill, our own, uh, here at Hotel Tia, but she's the oldest grandchild of Bill Shankly. And mm-hmm. to listen to those two, it was so moving, because... Cali is something as rare as, as one of the few left of the Shankly boys, you know, who played with him mm. for 14 seasons. Absolutely. Who can remember everything. He's, his mind is so sharp and he, he played for 18 years. It's just unbelievable. And to, to have that privilege to sit there and listen to two people who, two of the people who knew Bill Shankly the most, was, it was so moving. I just gave the microphone to Karen and said, I'm not hosting today, you are. And especially even with his World Cup medal as well. I mean, the most yeah. decorated English player that's still with us. And that's that's something that's really, really interesting about Cali. But yeah, I mean, there's sharp tack. I want to know what it is he has in his cornflakes. Uh, you know, you want to kind of keep that cognitive function. <laughs> are you going to be able to dance for that many seasons, do you think, Rob? I hope so. Yeah. I'll give it a good go. It depends how much Jack Daniels I drink, to be fair. That's usually me catalyst now. <laughs> well, we but, found out Callie's secret of... Uh, oh, we have. Of, uh, uh, <laughs> is, Tell me. Is science, you know, the science <laughs> behind Callie's uh, ability to go on and on and on and look as well as he does. And uh, for uh, for those that missed it, uh, he puts it all down to beetroot. Beetroot? Is, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Which, is, which I think has been scientifically pr- proven in uh, recently... To actually, we, we thought of whether or not, well, it's just a, a foible of, uh, of his, uh, you know, his routine. But now it's been proven to, yeah. you know. I crave it sometimes. He found the secret, he found yeah. the secret before a lot, lot more, a lot, lot of other people did. Every beetroot, day, huh? Every day he eats beetroot, so you better go and get yourself a big jar. <laughs> I'm on it. I don't, I don't like beetroot, I'll be honest with you, but I'm in. I'm you all over it now, yeah. Like Callie's it. beetroot. Yes. <laughs> 
We should no be on royalties now for Beatrice, I actually, know. you and I. We should do like a... Like a <laughs> Beatrice special. Beatrice Reds. <laughs> it's already red, so I don't know how that's going to come down, but <laughs> the Reds army is Beatrice. Well, well, we'll figure it out, David. We, we will definitely trademark it after this show. I like that. Yeah. So, Rob, being such a football fanatic growing up, where did you get dance in the mix? <laughs> Bit con- big contrast. You it is massive contrast. I mean, all I ever growing up as a as a lad, kind of in Bootle, all I ever wanted to do really was play football uh, and was box. I, I enjoyed boxing as a kid, um, and it was it was acting is kind of how the the first flurry of that. But how dance really came about is again back to my grandfather. Uh, they, my nan and granddad, used to teach five or six line dance classes a week all over the city of Liverpool. And it was their way of keeping me out of trouble. They'd pay me 50p for every dance that I'd learn. And it was their way of, of saying, right, okay, uh, we don't have to pay a babysitter, you can come with us. And then as couples dancing came in, the little Latin and ballroom pieces, you know, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd get a pound from some of the little older ladies that I'd dance with. So then it became, what did you do this weekend? So in my head then I was, well, how much money did you make this weekend? <laughs> you know, so he kind of taught me a little bit of entrepreneurship as a young age and then, Challenged me one day, a little bit later on in life, um, said to me, okay, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to help you footy and we're going to help you boxing and move your feet and I'm going to put you in a ballet class. I went, all right, okay. And, uh, you know, cards on the table, I'll be completely honest with you. It was a, just about the time when I, when I was uh, going through my early teenage years and noticing the opposite sex. <laughs> so I walked into a ballet class and I was, the, I was one lad and about 15 girls, 12 or 15 girls in that class. And it was a Saturday morning. I remember going for then something to eat with both me nan and granddad. And they'd say, how, how was the class, son? You know, and then it was uh, me nan would drop us off and we'd walk up the alley, you know, the alleyway up to, uh, up, to, up to the main stand. And that's when he put his arm around me and he went, now really, how was it, son? And I went, okay, I get what you're saying. <laughs> um, but I remember leaving that class and feeling like I could truly express. And that it's something that was unlocked in me that I could move and I could use my body in a totally different way, but I could get creative and I could escape. Um, and then the more that I stuck with it, the more then that I was dancing with a lot of older people, um, probably three, even four years older than me at the time. So that kind of development of me being around and then having to take care of those people, um, you know, that was something that was there and through connection and through physical touch uh, that was non-violent, it was non-aggressive, um, and it was, it was something that was, that was pretty pure in, in my development age. So I always look back at that. What's kind of crazy is, you know, at, at 14 and 15, um, I'd be taking over their classes as well. So I was always teaching at a young age. So wow. when they go away for two <laughs> weeks on holiday, you know, here's me even at 12 and 13, 14, 15, I'd be looking after their entire class. So the whole roster, the whole six lessons each week. Um, and then at 15, uh, I was teaching over in Finland and Germany and Switzerland. Uh, I had about 40 or 50 students in each, in each country at oh that time, which goodness. was a bit crazy. It's even <laughs> weird saying that out loud. Uh, but luckily my school, um, when I was at high school, the head of my year, a guy called Mr. Moran, he, uh, he kind of saw what it was that I was, I was doing. Um, and I knew I had to go to school three days a week. So on a Thursday night, I'd, I'd leave on a flight to wherever that was. I'd teach kind of over the weekend. I'd come back on a Sunday and I'd have the Monday to kind of rest. Um, 
and that was that was kind of my my school year, you know, which was pretty wow. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> See, that's yeah. like you, you know, you discovered your talent so early as well, and and you mm. just by chance, you know. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can sort of compare it to was when I I had my own radio show at the national radio in Norway, and I was going to make fun of yoga, and um, but I had the same experience, you know. I went in there on a 10, 10 week introduction class mm-hmm. to, just to pick up some some exercises I was going to make you know, mock about on, on, the, on my radio show. So I would teach my, my listeners one ra- uh, yoga exercise a week. I didn't have a clue about yoga. I thought, if you are exercising, because I'm an old uh, cross-country skier, if you're exercising, you're at least one hour outside getting your pulse up. You know, being inside and aoming is not going to be classified even as exercise. And I walked out of that first class and I was like walking on air. It just all clicked. I was just like feeling immediately energized normally you have to really rest up you know after a hard exercise Mm -hmm. and and, and, uh, restore but I was like so recharged in the minute I walked out of there I was like whoa so 20 odd years later I am still an eager yoga still practicing (laughs) a yogi absolutely yeah yeah, I love it still humming yeah I'm still humming and I'm loving it (laughs) I can't do that uh, actually what both those sort of things uh, say to me is opportunity and uh, you know maybe you're out you know your outlook towards things growing up the way I did was uh, we weren't introduced to to much uh, other than sport you know football largely yeah. uh, for for nine months of the year and it was all about being involved with everybody else because and also sort of shyness I'm tempted to say took over a little bit with me uh, I was reasonably I was in a choir and and then when I was asked to be to go a little bit further the shyness really kicked in and, and I wasn't able to really you know go any go any further so um, I didn't know you I think were in the choir this you're is a little interesting bit, you're a little bit so you're a victim you know not so much a mm-hmm. victim of I mean, it has been said, hasn't it? You know, you, you, the, the, the areas that you bring, you're brought up in. You know, Absolutely. You know, yeah, mold, definitely plays mold, into mold, the flow. You, but also the people who are around you as well. You know, and, and we never had perhaps my, my you know, for me, it was, it was an, e- an, easy, an easy thing being, being good at football sort of... Um, sort of uh, gave me my acceptance amongst everybody else. But that just says mm. a lot about the bravery of him yeah. up in Bootle doing mm. that, you know. Going to that first ballet class because your boxing, yeah. boxer, boxing trainer told you to do so, you know. At least he was cool saying it. But, you know, just for mm. your, you to have that bravery to go in, you yeah. know, that, yeah, that takes mean, a lot of character. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating, you know, it's an interesting, it's a fascinating story. And, and the, <laughs> the bravery to travel and take on the responsibility so early on, something that I certainly lacked in my early years. I just, but I, I, think, think, I think it's interesting on that standpoint, though, you know, it's, it, it, it's also in our DNA. You know, to have that, have that kind of bravery, and I'd say even in, you know, it's probably even even at that, you know, I, I started out talking about Boston and, and Nashville, but I'd say even in Norway as well, and it's probably why the, you know, the Norwegians and the Scousers really truly get along as well. Is is it's having that, having that in our DNA, meaning as a port town, as a as a feeling town, you know, if a ship's coming in and there's only a hundred spots for work, but there's ten thousand people looking for that job, it's how do you stand out amongst the rest? It's that survival of the fittest mentality that's in within us. And then it's interesting even kind of saying, you know, you had that outlet of then football and you were lucky that you had that outlet of football. But I'd also argue that that's something that you gravitated towards and you were nurtured that way as well. And it was something that was an outlet. So I think, you know, the, the, the common denominator there for me, in, in my opinion, is movement. 
And I feel like that the education system, this is going to get really deep. Wow. The the education system as a whole, we are educated out of movement. And I'm addicted to the root of movement, no matter what that is, whether it's golf, whether it's boxing, whether it's playing football, whether it is yoga. Um, But again, coming back to it, we're educated out of it. And what I mean by that is we are, the education system as a whole, especially in Western cultures, is, is there to design to educate educators. And, and especially kind of seeing that in the States a lot more that, that, you know, the art is always the first budget to get cut. And then dance is always the first budget to get cut from the arts. Mm. But the book stops at sports because there's money to be made in it. So there's this pecking order of, of where sports really is in that realm because there's money to be made. And it's an interesting thing now, the collegiate network in the States that they've opened up through the NCAA rules and what's called the NIL rules where now college athletes can quite rightly earn their fair share for, for playing the sport that's, that's generating income for the collegiate network. So all that to say, I mean, I, I truly, <laughs> I guess I can say it this way. I truly like to say that I look at the world through a dancer's lens mm. and everything to me is choreography. Yeah. You know, behind the coffee shop, behind the bar, I'm on a plane every other week. What about, what about at Anfield? Tell Correct. us about how, how do you see a game of football? <laughs> how did you see, uh, okay, let's let's dig into it. How yeah. did you see Liverpool-Chelsea from a choreography kind of point? Well, I didn't. I closed my eyes for most of it, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so Liverpool-Chelsea, I mean, you know, it, it's an interesting one. Let's let's dive there at the minute within that side. Um, look, I think that there's a, there's a period of change and, and we know that that's coming. We know that that's on the topic and, and it's truly what it is. There's some... There's some players that are aging out of that. There's some contractual obligations that, that you know, uh, are changing motivation, so we say, for some of them. I think that some of them are lost. Um, I'll be honest and I'll go out there and I'll say even mentally um, drained. You know, we had we played every game that was put in front of us last season and and that's got to take its toll. City are in the same boat, if you look at it from a Premier League standpoint. Um, even further than on a human element, um, I'll go out and record and say that I, I, I'm truly worried about Trent mentally. And you can see kind of the, the, the remnants of what that is. You know, it, it, it's tough for a lad of his age whose entire family, he feels as though he has to carry and support and uphold. That's got to affect you mentally. You know, and when you're taking the toll on that and the pressures of social media and the pressures of, of anxiety of, of kind of where that's going, I mean, I, it scares me on many different levels. So what did I see? I saw a group of tired lads that, and frustration from Jürgen. Um, and I felt a lot of, you know, a lot of people around me are feeling that same thing too, but it's unique here and it will turn around. And, and you know, the man, man sat here to me left has been through that in, in waves and, and bounds. And from a dance perspective, to answer your question as well in that other roundabout way, what I truly see on a football pitch is movement. Hmm. And I look for shapes and I look for, for styles and it's body alignment and how you truly control that, how a defender stands with one foot in front of the other, how somebody up front breaks the line straight away, how the high press in what Jürgen's done. So I'm addicted to, to the movement of it all. And I love looking at that from aerial views or from different angles within, within a stadium, you know. But the, the, the game has changed, uh, not, I wouldn't say dramatically, but it, it, it certainly it, it's sort of... Uh, it's broken up now more than ever before, um, but you can go back down the years. I think everyone's looking for the edge, which I, which I would say. So 
you know, whether or not they, they, you know, understanding how you move better and all those type of things. And some people have tried it and, and, and maybe have not stuck with it. And that is the one thing that perhaps sometimes, uh, you know, whether you're doing Pilates or yoga or you introduce it to whether or not it, it becomes a continued part of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the training program. But you can go back as, uh, as far as 19... In the early '60s, Don Revy introduced a ballet. He introduced a ballet dancer to the to the Leeds group. Now, not many people would have associated mm-hmm. ballet with the with Leeds the, the, at that Leeds time. The no, '60s, no. but it was it was learning that, that how to move. I played at Oldham uh, for a year, and um, and uh, Joe Royal had been at Manchester City. Manchester City had introduced ballet as well into the into their program and he brought a ballet dancer guy Lenny Heppel have you heard of Lenny I Heppel? know who it is yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. he brought us along and he had us all doing these things and there's a little bit of scoffing and uh, you know thinking is this mad but some to some people the, the penny would have dropped and realised that what he was saying and how he was teaching you to sort of uh, to, to move sort of what could benefit you yeah um, the turns the it balance didn't, it didn't last i mean even just sort of move you know your forward movement it's just a, it's a very simple thing you know appear appears to be a simple thing there is a, a science to all this stuff but it depends how long you stay with it and i mean i think i think uh, the manager at the time joe royal didn't see there was a great pickup off it from the from the players mm-hmm. so he, he didn't carry it on but i mean you hear more you know you hear all the time Everyone's looking for the edge, whether or not it's a throw-in coach or it's a whatever. Um, it's Underwater a, breathing and mental mental forces. Yeah, well, how yeah. long do you you know how long do you do it for? Do you start it and then say, well, okay, there's the experience, remember it. But maybe you need to have this sort of reoccur and it's got to be a, a part of your uh, you know your training program, your, mm-hmm. your, your your whatever you know. And it is it's that continual piece. So movement then into space, and that's the interesting part. So it's providing space and, it, you know, that's what we're looking for. You're looking for the spaces, you're looking for the gaps. You hear commentary over and over and we talk about this is the space that they've left or the gap that they've left. So what kind of what kind of dance truly is, and, and, it, and it's about filling space and time with movement. Mm. And, and it's understanding kind of what those trajectories are and how you can see that. And it's opening up your mind to see them, to see the spaces, to see the gaps, to understand you know, the choreography of it really, truly what that is, is remembering something, remembering a routine, remembering patterns. So that's where I'd say the choreography kicks in um, within a footy pitch, you know, and I see that, especially in American sports, you know, baseball has got has got kind of a series of, or a script of things that you need to remember. And it's done by little signals or hand gestures or whatever that may be. And in American football, it's full playbook, Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was watching it at the weekend. Uh, I mean, it, it is, yeah, and you see, obviously, the you know, there's certain teams come in and go out and all that bit because they've got in their head the the, the specific movements. And uh, but then it's also about reacting to that uh, countering the movements of the others because I mean, the two teams. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's you know, where you get okay, the, you can have the ballroom your, dance on the pitch. Truly, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is, and it's yeah, exactly. it's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch in that essence, and I feel like you know, because it's so fast paced and because it's so demanding and because there are so many different properties, for lack of a better term, you know, the Premier League, then the Champions League, then what's going on, then the Euros, then the World Cup, there's this dilution again of the sport and there's, there's so much so much kind of information then that these individuals have to remember who it is that they're playing internationally. Then there's a break, then there's a different thing. So I feel like we live in a world, even with the phone and technology, we live in a world that there's a there's a wealth of information 
and there's a poverty in attention span. Mm. That's, a good, that's a good way of looking at and, it. And if you think about it in that essence, you know, if, if you've got so much to remember and it's and, and the games come thick and fast, mm. you know, I, I mean, what I'd love to really ask you then too in, in that, that essence is even back then, the mentality of the boot room, it was close this door. It was a creative think tank. Yes, a couple of crates of lager and a couple of bottles of whiskey and some questionable posters on the wall. <laughs> but it was break down, break down what was next. And it was always about what's next. What's that next opponent? And the secret of that, I mean, I'd love to ask you, what was the preparation between going into a team then week in, week out? And I think Liverpool's strength was uh, not worrying about the opposition. It was about being strong in what you do and, and recreating that. And then, uh, you know, down the years, you've seen Liverpool winning, you know, the best team win games later on sometimes, you know, because you know, a lot of the time, because they continue to do the you know, the good things well mm -hmm. and, and ultimately your opponents can't sort of, don't have that sort of longevity to to actually counter it. Okay, they may be able to do it in the first 10 minutes, uh, but once you get into 80 minutes and it, it, everything becomes a little bit more of a, uh, a, a trial kind of thing. So it was the mentality of it and it was the physicality of it back then that you just said that late on in games, a lot of the teams were there and the consistency of Liverpool's way of playing, is that what, is that what yeah, you'd say? Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. Because you keep doing the same thing well and you, you, know, you, you keep on knocking on the door kind of thing, for, you know, to coin an analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, you're knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And how, how, you know, how are people sort of able to, sort of, to resist that, uh, you know, but by doing the same things. And Jürgen has spoken about this in, mm -hmm. uh, I think, I'm not sure it was earlier this season, but it certainly was last season. About you know people getting a little bit fed up, and people seem to be doing the same thing. But ultimately, that same thing creates the you know the a little bit fed up. But also, I'd argue then that the legs have gone within that side. So you can't you can't have that forever. And, and you know what he's been able to get out of this this group of players has there and has broken down in that point. But when you're in a game where they are or the opposition constantly is is you know, going over and has this data and has this information for what it is that you're doing and how you play, that's eventually going to wear down. It, it probably wasn't that way back in back in the day then when we didn't have all of the technology to analyse or the analysts. I think we, we touched upon this last week, but it, it's the... Um, uh, it's, you know, obviously the the fear factor has, has kind of dissipated a little bit you know yeah. of, of City you're seeing the results you know teams against City teams particularly against Liverpool it's not there now I mean and we, we spoke a bit of uh, demystifying the myth and, and by telling people that perhaps there isn't any real secret um, you, you, you then make it easier for other people to say, well, okay, you know, in their preparation. Whereas it's great to, to feel that you're going into a secret room mm -hmm. uh, because you go in there with this trepidation and you're not able to, uh, you know, maybe do what you, you know, is, is within you. Now, I think, I think Liverpool's myth has been kind of demystified. You know, slightly, slightly, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, it, and it's a bit... Um, uh, but also, you know, also, you know, when we, we touch across many of these points through, through the course of a season, but I do, I, I think also, I mean, that's part of being a Liverpool footballer, you know. I mean, in the old days, I mean, in in, in the last months, I've, I've used the, the the example. Edmund Hughes was like captain of England, you know, at twenty nine, Liverpool sort of 
said, you know, your time's gone and one thing or another. There's that sort of bravery of saying, okay, you know, you're this superstar, but, you know, you're not super enough for us. At the, uh, and, 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 you know, people are thinking, you know. So I think uh, we're, we're, we're kind of caught a little bit in that at the moment, I think. I think, I think as you say, the expectation, you know, obviously the workload last season was enormous, but the expectation exists, still exists. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm seeing this, listening to people talk about Everton and one thing or another. Uh, whoever you come, the expectation is never going to go away. Uh, you know, Ever. Okay, and you, nor should it that's, no, the, that's, exactly. that's, that's the fun why, of the game that's right? why we're Liverpool you know? yeah. uh, <laughs> you know. but then, then there's like two different um, two different sides of the scale here with Liverpool and Everton though because mm. we're talking loyalty and, and maybe mm. Liverpool's loyalty is, t- is too loyal because uh, as Jurgen Klopp has been in charge Everton is now looking for the 10th manager which is like mm. pretty sad on the other end of the scale maybe somewhere in the middle there there, there is an answer to yeah. to what well, could we, work we, you won't get it you won't get, you, won't get you know we don't want to get too hung up on Everton I, mean, I apologise for bringing them into the conversation yeah. really but uh, I think it just you know at the end of the day they're, they're Liverpoolian, you know, they're people mm. from Liverpool, mm-hmm. and and we're brought up in this environment to to demand, and uh, and so uh, as as you know, Rob just points out, you know, the workload, and it's been said before, well, it was heavy last season, but I go back, you know, years and years, and that was nothing, you know, the first lesson you learnt after you win in a cup in Liverpool was well, okay, you get nothing for that now. We'll see it again in. You know, next season, and it all be here's a again. medal. If you think you deserve one, take one. Yeah, exactly, See you on Monday for training. Exactly. <laughs> but, but Rob, you are a performance coach, yes. and you you help athletes, you help mm-hmm. dancers, you you help actors, whoever you you know. Correct. Um, from your perspective as a performance coach, mm-hmm. what would you do in in, in Jurgen's shoes right now? <laughs> wow. As a performance coach, well, first and foremost, I don't think I'd ever want to be in Jürgen's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the managerial expectations within that side. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to assist behind the scenes. I'd, I like to stay Switzerland. I don't like to, to kind of pry. I'd rather get to know somebody on a personal level that they know that you can build trust and you can build camaraderie. And I think that that's where it has to start within that level. Um, I think that there's too much media attention on on sports and then also on the athletes. And I think that that's very, very difficult, you know, for, for them to address. Um, what's really, really interesting is, is, you know, what he's able to do as a man manager is something that, that is, that is genius to see. And I think that there's other, there's other coaches or managers globally within other sports like Steve Kerr, um, basketball wise, the, the Warriors head coach, is a massive Jürgen Klopp fan, has become a Liverpool fan. And Jürgen, not too long ago, brought him in to have a chat with Virgil van Dijk and also with Trent and with Andy Robertson. And it's it's not lost on me that then he's there in that realm as a basketball coach, then talking to three players that are, are holding our back line when we were having trouble with the back line. And now those problems have escalated. So I think... Jürgen's astute enough to be doing so many different things just to what you're saying a throwing coach and a defensive coach you look at the two penalty shootouts that we had in the FA Cup and then even in the you know in the in the Carabao there or whatever it's called now um, the psychology behind those couple of minutes the second that that final whistle went you saw all the Chelsea players scatter and they went to go get a drink and every single one of them were looking over at the Liverpool players because we were in a huddle 
As soon as that whistle went, we were in a huddle. Within two minutes, within three minutes, within four minutes, we were sorted. And then they broke away from that huddle. Chelsea hadn't even finished a drink of water while a Chelsea manager at the time was doing this. When we were ready to go take the penalties, Liverpool were on the line, on the halfway line, and ready to go. There's no way we were losing that penalty shootout from a psychology standpoint or from a from a just a purity standpoint. So I think that these competitive advantage and edges are there to be used. Um, I think we are using them. Um, it's not that we've been necessarily found out. We've been too open and honest about them, perhaps in the press and in the media. Um, and I think that, it, that there's now another opportunity for, for a new wave in that, you know? Yeah. So basically bring in <laughs> More brains, absolutely, to help. yeah, yeah, wholeheartedly. Can't, can't do it I mean, on the way the way football's gone in, in the old days of, um, you know, let's let's say, and I'm guilty of doing this all the time. But you go back to a Shankly or a, uh, a Paisley. I mean, much of the the lead came from one man. These days, it, it's shared, and and they have the, and the, those leaders have the opportunity to delegate to bring their generals in, so you know, the general of this, that, and the other. Uh, and so it, it's, a, it's a really interesting sort of uh, period, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and the way the game has moved and the, such are the, the, the fine margins between success and defeat now. I think you, have to use that. you just said something, something that was really poignant there and you said that the lead came from one man in that essence. Mm-hmm. Well, you knew that obviously from, from within and then I'd say that the folklore knew that from an external standpoint because there was no opening up to the media. The, the press conference weren't the same way that they were. There's not this social media play. Mm. So I'd also then ask you, you know, yes, the league came from one man, but those deputies and disciples that were inside that one room and that think tank, all of those brains and all of those minds that played different roles, they all spoke as one unit. Would I be right in saying that? Well, you know, certainly... Well, Shanks laid the law out, and I only have this from hearsay. He laid the law out initially from coming in, and I think from that, you know, mm-hmm. the mentality grew and grew and uh, recycled. So you had these like-minded individuals that, that you know was getting self-perpetuated. People like uh, you know Ruben Benners, who gets forgotten about an mm-hmm. awful lot, but Ron, uh, Ronnie Moran and Joe Fagan and Paisley himself, and then Paisley becomes the boss. I mean, yet we, you know, one thing, and I don't know whether or not it's relevant, but we, we go out and play, and um, Joe Fagan and Ronnie Moran would take the training, and the lads would be thinking, like, oh, the, the boss is standing in the, in the, looking out the window, sort of warming his legs on the radiator, you know. Uh, but he wasn't, he was observing, you still knew that Pay, you know, Bob Paisley was in the distance. Uh, we, we were concentrating on what we were doing and whilst Joe, Joe and Ronnie were sort of making me go through whatever we went through, which wasn't too scientific. But uh, but still at all, Bob Paisley was identifying everything. He was on the, it was like that sort of, you know, the, the, weird, the mirror, like a mirror you can't see through, but he can see through the other <laughs> it's way. one way. And he was taking it in. So you could go in after training and one thing or another, maybe pulled up and sort of saying, like, you know, your movement's not right, or why didn't you do this, or why didn't you do that? But you're always under the on the under the microscope. I don't know how it's relevant, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that... It is relevant. You know, what you're Absolutely. saying really brings things like that back to me. And when you think of um, things that you're a part of, and I, and I shared a... I, I shared a 
a, a journey the other day with Phil Neal and mm-hmm. what we spoke about before the game and after the game going home. It's really, really interesting even now to know what he was thinking and what he was he was asking me. He said, you know, he didn't know what I was being told and what <laughs> I was kind of doing. And we were sort of, after a game like the Chelsea one, it's quite easy to possibly, you know, uh, sort of bring out the little little, little nuances or little pieces yeah wrong and, and what we would have been told in, the, in those situations and it wasn't all perfect in the old days not far from it but I mean certainly there is an expertise and, and Phil mentioned that, that that perhaps I think and, and this goes back away that maybe you know Liverpool as an example might have been guilty of sort of not utilising mm-hmm. uh, you know some of the know-how that is sort of uh, an experience that that that's sort wow. of has, uh, has been available. The yeah. human, the human element of that, the wealth of experience, the knowledge within that side, and and I think ultimately the culture. I, I, I like to say it this way within that essence. I mean, for my my life truly now. Yes, the tail end of my dance career. So you know, I've had a competitive dance career, and you know, I've done assistant choreography or shadow choreography for uh, strictly come dancing over here or dancing with the stars, as it's called in the states. Um, and I've consulted on various different TV shows and events and movies and films. And, but again, all is Switzerland. So the interesting part is I like to operate kind of in the shadows with the producers and understand the whole orchestra piece of that. It's now, you know, pandemic hits, couples dancing. I couldn't really do much of that. And it, and it was always kind of the case that, you know, I don't want to be competing against 20-year-olds anymore. <laughs> so it's kind of that cycle again, similar to, similar to a footballer within that essence. There's a, there's a life cycle to that. Now it's morphed into uh, what I'm doing now. I've, I've got a, a media marketing and production agency, uh, production company, both sides of the pond, um, and working on various different entities. My, I'd say kind of my philosophy on, on all of that stuff and everything that I'll ever do revolves around three things, and that's content, which is everything that we consume. What we're doing now is creating content. There's content is everywhere, content's in everything we do. But culture and connection. And what is culture? Culture is, to me, uh, it's memories. And it's a series of memories that are passed on to generations. And if you think back to ancient Greece and Rome, and what are these cultures? Well, they are moments in time that were events that were captured, that were stories that were shared, that were passed on. And it's that folklore and it's that culture. So learning from culture within that essence is if we forget to do that, or societies never do that, then they'll, they'll crumble. And connection then is is what is the result of that it creates connection culture creates connection so content brings us together and that's the wave of the digital era that we're in um but it is it's the culture of football it's the, the this is my life like you know cut me open and, and truly that's what it is as uh, you know as many of and many of my fellow liverpool family have right and that's something that you're doing as well and, and ragnall too i mean it's not lost on me kind of what you've continued to create here within that side and, and it's an honour getting to meet you today, but you're a part of all of that that culture that's within me and my generations, and it's and it's beautiful to kind of see the passion as well from someone that's that's an icon within our club. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet, uh, Rob. Um, in terms of that, how has Liverpool Football Club um, followed you in your amazing career and and, and travelling across between continents and and being you know in such high-performing, high-pressure mm-hmm. work environments, you know, where you can't sort of not perform, you know, mm-hmm. are you on a movie set or are you on Strictly Come Dancing? 
um, and all, all cameras are on you, you need to perform. How has Liverpool sort of backed you in this and, and maybe sometimes created problems for you? As a football club. Yeah, I, I mean, it created problems. Let's start with that first. That's just anger and frustration. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> if we're playing shite on the pitch, then the rest of your day is gone. <laughs> you know, that totally right. Still, so whoever it was, uh, wholeheartedly, it'll never go away. You know, so I feel sorry for any of my students or anyone that I'm working with after Liverpool have just got a defeat. And especially if that's early in the morning. You know, you're out in California and it's 7am for a kickoff time and all of a sudden I'm going into a rehearsal. God help anyone that's in that rehearsal with me, right? So I'd start with that in that essence. Uh, but what dance has opened up to me globally is is a family worldwide, and and that happened at a very young age. And and I've, you know it's not lost on me in 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 my development years and those key years. I was able to be independent and I was able to be worldly, and you know I'd stay with families all over the world. But even then, still, my connection back home was, how are you getting on, son? That's fine. Do you see the Reds today? So my entire life revolves around the Liverpool fixture list. No matter where I go, everything that's scheduled, every dance partner that I've had, every production assistant that I've ever worked with, it's this is non-negotiable. <laughs> if you want me, there's a match on, and I'm either watching it or making sure I'm listening to it at the very least. That's also opened the door then to a global family Liverpool fans you know I remember even being over in Japan and I'm teaching all day and then it's two in the morning three in the morning that the game's kicking off so I've taken a train for an hour and a half across I've ended up in a pub in the middle of Japan somewhere watching a match and I realise I'm about to get the train back but the trains have stopped so then I'm like well I start teaching at nine in the morning what time's the first train the first train's not till six well what do I do now ends up in a karaoke bar with whoever it was that I was watching a match with. And now, you know, I've birthed a new relationship and a new connection based on the culture and based on the history and the heritage of all of that. And I think, you know, what this club has been able to give me um, and all of us that are part of this family um, is is a family that, that that's global, you know. What about you, David? You know, you travel a lot too. You, you love... You love being out and about. How has Liverpool Football Club helped you get a, get a, around after your playing days? Well, you know, I've been fortunate to be a part of a, um, a very successful period, which um, I think really, I suppose, the fact that, I mean, I'm very fortunate and uh, it's, 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 it's not going to keep you... Uh, What's the word? It doesn't keep you, you know, put food on the table and all those type of things, uh, keep you warm. And I, but it's it's lovely that people come up to you. And uh, I mean, I was I was out on Saturday evening. We had dinner somewhere, and uh, you know, people come back and they come up and, and recall memories and all those type of things. Uh, so I've been very very fortunate. I think I've said before. I know I have said before, but I mean, I grew up. Uh, on the memories of being St. John and Roger Hunt and those type of things. And to think that, you know, I would ultimately play for Liverpool and actually leave a memory that is sort of, uh, uh, stood the test of time, certainly modern time anyway. I mean, it is really refreshing. And my, my daughter was with us on uh, Saturday night. I mean, people get who are with me, you know, family, they get, they get embarrassed by <laughs> the fact that people sort of recall things. But at the end of the day, it's only football, you know, only football. Um, so I've been very, very lucky uh, to have been, you know, able to sort of to play a little piece in, you know, Liverpool's enormous history. 
And it's open doors for your business-wise as well with companies and shares in companies and carrying mm. that as well, which is fascinating mm. how, how your name lives on like that as well. Well, one or two people are maybe intrigued sometimes if maybe they get a phone call from me, they, they, you know, they, they probably use it. Maybe not for the reasons I ring, but uh, they, they, they want to talk about, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a memory of, uh, of the watching Liverpool down the years, you know. It may be even Saint-Étienne, you never know. That might come up in that phone call. <laughs> Rob, um, we're going to soon move back to the elephant, but before we do that, um, I'm so interested in, and this is also leading up to the elephant, when you work as a performance coach um, and you work with someone who's, ha- who's having a current dip in form mm-hmm. or struggling to be as successful as they know they can be, mm-hmm. uh, and now we're talking individually, um, how do you work to get that person to sort of pick up again? What, what, what's your main... I know it's going to be different from person to person, but, but what's the sort of like the core essence? And what can we all learn from that? Trust. Mm-hmm. And it's all about building a trust. It's all about finding out who this individual truly is. And culture and connection go a long way within that. Where are you from? What's your story? I'm not bothered about what it is that you do. That's 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 why we're here. We know that. Let's get that out the way. And it's about building a trust. You know, what's really, really interesting is I got to, again, in Boston. So I'll say it this way. I moved to the States like I went to college. That's truly how I saw it. I wanted to understand LA and, and the TV and film industry and how these professionals and who are now, I'm able to call peers of mine and mentors of mine, how they operate, how they work. And it's the same thing that in Nashville, and the reason Nashville is, I love country music, again, from those country roots of the line dance days and what I was brainwashed in, for lack of a better term. But the opening up of the stories, and truly, again, it's stories, and it's, you know, what they write in country is not dissimilar. You know, people in people in Nashville, they love country music, and they'll go, well, the Beatles were a country band. Or if you talk to a rock musician, they'll say they were a rock band, or pop will say they're pop. But truly what it was, was an honesty and an authenticity that's there. And it was all based on the trust that they had, not only in the individuals that were surrounded by them, um, but then the management or, or kind of the coach that was trying to get the best out of them. And again, it is, it's that essence of trust. So when I moved to Boston, it was the education side of things. I was managing a Latin ballroom studio and, and I was asked to go in and teach at Harvard and MIT. Here's me, some lad from Bootle and I'm asked to teach at Harvard. I remember I told them on a side note, I remember I told them I lost my first check so I could keep it. (laughs) It's just to say a check, I mean, it ain't written. It's only for a couple of hundred quid, but it was was a a big moment kind of in that side. And here's me in a room full of some of the smartest people and smartest students in the world that have have now got to Harvard. And and their, their escape was to move. Their escape was to dance. Their escape was to allow their bodies to let their brains have a rest for a while. And I learned very kind of quickly within that side that it is, it's about getting you up, getting you moving, understanding what else makes you tick, taking away the fear element um, and truly focusing in on why you love what it is that you're doing. And I think that that's something that's always there. So it's trust is the overall arching kind of breakthrough or entry point you can trust me i can trust you if you don't or either one of us do not then i'll find you somebody else who you can work with because that is key the other part on that is i'll only ever really open up to 
people that truly operate from a place of love. And you can operate out of love or operate out of fear. And, you know, you can operate out of love and act out of fear. Fear of finance, fear of gain, fear of personal wealth, fear of success. That's real. But again, at the nucleus, if you operate from love or on the, on the flip side, and out in LA I found this, is that a majority of people or a lot of people out there operate from fear and act out of love. Hey, how are you? It's good to see you. I can help you. Let me do this for you. The ones that truly then succeed are the people that truly operate out of love and act out of love. That's the magic. They're the ones that break through. If you can operate from a place of love, and then you act out of a place of love in whatever it is that you are doing and you give it 100%, then that's that's where it can go. So it's understanding all of that. And I hope that that's kind of a bullet point way of what it is that I would work on with people and have them understand, break down where they're at and whatever struggles it is that they need to overcome. I just think then, David, I, I just realized why your side was so successful. Because so many of you were local lads Mm. Um, loving your team you know mm. you grew up like yourself mm-hmm. collecting autographs you loved the team you played with love and you acted with love because you loved you loved the fans because you'd been one of them don't you think that's that's something there I think yeah, this is I think, really making um, sense to me the you know the inspiration is the the people that you that you you come from um, you know you're living out people's dreams when you you know being fortunate enough to uh to be there and and sometimes you don't think about it at the time but sometimes you get a not maybe a not a fair crack of the whip but i mean that respect that you get because you say you know come from everton come from Cantrell farm or wherever you you know you grow up people so he was one of, you know one of us and all those type of things it's a very it's sort of i don't want to get too emotional about it mm-hmm. but it's 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 it, it is, uh, you know, there is a love there, and uh, and it's very, you know, it's it's, it's enormously deep. Mm-hmm. It's part of you, and uh, all those things. You said something that was very poignant there. Um, you know, you're living out people's dreams. Mm. That's truly what you got to do. But mm. don't forget your own dreams that you got to live out too. And that's that's something that you share, you know, mm. with the people that were on the stands and the terraces and your player mates. And the other interesting part that you said something straight away that was really poignant to me too was emulate. And you use the word emulate several times. Mm. And you wanted to emulate what it is that they do. And, and it, you know, in, in music, music's kind of, if we think of a tech standpoint or kind of the Napster moment that sports is maybe looking for or whatever the Spotify thing is, music's far ahead than, than sports as an entertainment genre right now. And the greats in music emulated the opposite sex. Right. So, and I know that that sounds a little bit mad, but just kind of a phrase that's always kind of stuck with me is if you think of Steven Tyler and Aerosmith, that was Janis Joplin. If you think of everything that Michael Jackson and Prince did, that was that was the other side of Motown. And it's and it's so fascinating when you start to think about truly the emulation of the greats. I mean, Freddie Mercury emulated three or four different people, but then found his own niche within that side. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to emulate, and it should be encouraged. You know, to emulate the other players that are on that pitch and players that are around you. It's okay to emulate your own teammates. And, I, and I'd ask you kind of in that essence, even within your own teammates as well, was there any kind of layer of that too? Um, 
I don't know really. Not not so much uh, amongst the. Uh, sometimes just saw examples of saying, "Oh God, I'd like to be like him and you know act like him." I mean, it could only be one Sui, you know, for example, mm-hmm. you know, dressing immaculately every day and one thing or another. And you kind of rubs off on you. You think, so, "Well, I'm not going to go in in, in sort of like a <laughs> scruffy jeans right. or something like that." So different things. Uh, yeah, we all we all kind of had a. Um, uh, I think there was a great belief in the ability that each other had, but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely certain things about you know personality. Oh, I want to be like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. I remember saying about you know, I, I remember going through. I went to Harrods once with Kevin Keegan and uh, you know walking a, a step <laughs> behind him, you know, and just watching you know how people. So sort of, that's Kevin Keegan, Kevin Keegan, wow. and that type of thing. Uh, and you think yourself one day, you know, I might walk through. Uh, a town and thankfully uh, it did happen and you know my kids have sort of said you know mm-hmm. said, when, said my daughter said to me something last week said said I never, when we were growing up and i thought so, why does everybody know my dad you know and uh, you know my dad seems to know everybody but but that Mate was in liverpool <laughs> well all over i said well i remember being in florida one time we went on holiday and um, i remember the kids saying to me uh, why is everybody looking at us you know because we were standing there waiting for a, a car and i think um, it's not, you know, it's it's only football. It's only football. I'm not a, I'm not a movie star or anything like that. But uh, that's not uh, only. Come on, uh, football isn't no, only. I mean, it's I, the I third time he said that. We're going to let him let him get away with it for right my, now. You know, but my, no. kids, my kids are uh, are really taking that. Say, it's funny that she, we talked about something like this last week, only last week, and she sort of said, you know, I thought, you know, why does my why does my dad know everybody and everybody <laughs> knows my dad and all this type of stuff. Uh, so you know, it's it's uh, I've been very you know been very lucky you know I was with somebody yesterday and they asked me what you know what I used to do and uh and when I told them you know I said well I played for Liverpool uh it was part of the conversation and it wasn't like wow you know it's it's this kind of thing so it's something maybe that we got used to and I said you know I'm digressing here I'm flying off on a tangent I love it absolutely uh, please do uh you know I said to you know nearly uh, the the, the weekend we were walking I said there was ever a time when you 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 took it for granted that every day you know every Saturday you played for Liverpool did you ever think that one day it's going to be your last you know it's your last one and uh I think we're guilty maybe of of doing that that we just thought it's going to go on forever and gonna last uh, forever you know but the lads all you know i think there's a huge you know when you we you know we get together and we talk about different things i think it still comes across there's a you know great respect for each other and uh what we were all able Mm -hmm. to uh, to contribute to talking about lasting forever this is just a little piece of of um memory kevin keegan called me the other day and i i I didn't manage to pick up the phone (laughs) quickly enough so he left the message and that's the first time i've ever saved a message (laughs) on my phone i was so proud kevin keegan called me (laughs) well you didn't ring me back last week so i'm jealous i'm really jealous no you i'm sure you're okay um this this podcast is so lovely i don't even want to talk about the reds performance at the moment because um I just want this podcast to live forever, as it is. Yes, we have a few fixtures coming up, um, uh, but uh, let's do an overall sort of. Instead of going into the, the Chelsea game, we, we've, we've analysed it in dance. Mm-hmm. I like that, and, and in, in in psychology. So we've done that now. But if we look, and this is the last question before you mm-hmm. will end this this podcast by sharing your best Liverpool football club memory with us, Rob. Um, 
looking ahead now, if if we are realistic, because people are really starting to to hang with their beak. You know, there's a lot of negative fans, and um, I didn't sit in my normal seat uh, this uh, last week, and. The guys behind me, they were so negative. I just could not believe what they were shouting to the pitch to our own players. Um, that's something, you know, people can just reflect on as I'm saying this now. Uh, get behind the team. But if we are being realistic right now, what, out- what outcome can we expect from this season? <laughs> it's, a tough one to, <laughs> it's a tough one to answer. What outcome can we expect? We can expect that this season is going to continue the way that it started. We can expect the, the volatility, and it's and it's an interesting one. If you're looking for placement within that side, let's hope and pray that we make the top four. Can't see it happening, truly. But I can see us cracking on within the Champions League. I think that this group of lads has, has got enough there within that side, and maybe we saw that over recent weeks that, that Jürgen's saving legs and, and watching and analysing and seeing that side. I think we can crack on and do it. I'd like to believe that we can. You know, we make top four and we go ahead. But I, I I, believe we can, you know, go on and win the Champions League. I'd love to see us back at Istanbul. I think that it's serendipitous within that essence. And I'm going to say that as a dreamer, because, you know, that's exactly what it is that we love to do in this city. <laughs> and as Liverpool fans, you can never stop believing. Um, Real Madrid are not, are not going to be a, a pushover. It scares me that it's the other way around, that we've put a Ramfield first. It'd be amazing if it was if it was that way and we could, we could emulate... But this man's been right the way through anything within the Champions League scenario or in, in that European Cup. Um, but I, I digress on that side. I'd, I'd like to believe that we can go on and 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 lift that trophy and lift that Champions League. And it, it'd be an amazing success story if we were. I'd say that it, it'd, it'd really kind of hit home at, at just how, how lucky we are that Jürgen Klopp is our manager, you know? David, what's um, your perspective? Well, after before before Saturday, people were sort of asking, you know, forecast, you know, forecast and all those type of things. I said, you know what? I said, I really don't know what to expect. I said, and that's a shame, really, because um, a couple of years ago we were getting fed up winning every week. You just say, what's it going to be? It's either <laughs> going to be two, it's going to be three. Uh, those days for the moment have, uh, have just gone and uh, say there's a, a period of unknown. I think what make what I've, and my thoughts lead me to say that I think Jürgen's got to find the, the ones with the little bit of steel that, uh, you know, the other, the other week at, at Brighton coming out and saying that we were kind of out sort of battle then. Well, we're not going to win cups and certainly not going to win, win, win leagues unless... Yeah, you know, Liverpool teams don't get out fought and don't get out uh, sort of, you know, are not over physic, you know, physical, out of games. That's not a word, but uh, you know. So I think it's up to Jurgen to really find the ones who've got the, the the fight in them to to achieve to to give us something to really look mm-hmm. back on. And and I think I wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't. Um, I don't think we. At the moment, before Saturday, I thought we were going to get into the top four. After Saturday, I think I have to say some of my confidence has waned a little bit. But I wouldn't over, uh, I wouldn't rule out a run in both of the cups. Uh, I can see us going to Brighton and getting something. I can also see, you know, strangely, as, as Rob points out, you know the, 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 the you know the, the idea of getting to again to a, a Champions League final. It's easier to win the Champions League than to win the league. And that has often been my sentiment for years, um, and we've proven that. But I think, yeah, 
not ruling out the Champions League. I think that's going to be fascinating, the two challenges against Real Madrid. But I think, as I say, if we can find the steel, I, I could, you know, I could see us going to Madrid and act, you know, if we got the right people and the right attitude, you could, you could stand firm. In and if anyone can find the steel, it's, it's Jürgen, like is what to, I'd like to think so. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't think of Liverpool without Jürgen. I mean, we've said this down the years of, of certain managers. Um, and yeah, and uh, for those doubters that, 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 that think that, you know, you, you know, I mean, we, we live in a generation, don't we, of sort of if it's fixed or, you know, if it's broken, you know, let's get a new one kind of thing. But Liverpool without Jurgen Klopp is, you know, would be, you know, I'd rather see all the players go before Jurgen goes. And when we play Chelsea, it was his thousandth uh, game as a manager, which is incredible. So he's got a little bit of experience to, Just to dish out from. And it <laughs> seems like, to me, I'm totally agreeing with you. I think, I think we can go all the way in both the FA Cup and the Champions League because even though these guys seem, as you say, Rob, mentally fatigued, like mm-hmm. tired, um, when they have specific things to play for or top, top um, opponents, mm-hmm. it's like they're their fire is back so I think I think we'll bring bring the fire and steel uh, on those two occasions fingers crossed we will also get to top four um, my last question of today is for you uh, Rob Glover mm-hmm. who is uh, I'll just remind everyone he's a professional dancer he's a choreographer I can't even say that I will never be able to <laughs> he is a performance coach he he um, has his own production company. He's based both here in Liverpool, Nashville, uh, because he loves line dance, um, <laughs> and Boston. I hope I hope you can um, whisper the owners a, a few words in the ears and and tell them to stay on and not not sell out to Qatar. I agree. Good. And by that uh, agreement, let's uh, end this uh, podcast with your best or strongest Liverpool Football Club memory. I'd say that there's two there's two ways I can I can go about this. A first and foremost, you know, in terms of a game, if that's the moment that you're you're looking for within that, for me in my life and a culmination of that was was the Man United game. It was the the Allison assist and the the Salah goal because that's the moment that truly I could believe that that we were going to win the league after all this time, and that's when it when it was there and I allowed myself to believe it. And I think that everyone did. And, and for me in that side, you know, I've, I've heard stories and seen all of that and, and kind of studied and been a savant of, of the team and of the game. And yes, winning the Champions League in 2005 was a massive moment when the treble was our first taste of that for me and my mates growing up in that, you know, that treble winning season in 2001, kind of pushing forward into 2005. And again, a similar period of transition that teams go through in a cycle. You know, where did we finish in the league that season? No one ever really remembers that, but they remember the moments of Istanbul. But for me, it was that moment where being back in Anfield um, in a football scenario and just seeing Jürgen run on the pitch, give Ali the hug and and the Salah knee slide, the Alisson knee slide then and all of that stuff. So to me, that was a footballing moment where, where in my life in front of me, that was something that I knew is this it is, <laughs> you know. And, and the sky, I'm just adding, the sky mm-hmm. that night. It was magical. It was just burning.
burning, flaming pink. Yeah. I've got some iconic pictures Absolutely. from my seat where it's just, it's not it's not photoshopped. And, and fans have got this picture printed on huge walls and mm-hmm. barns. And it, it was, was it was beautiful. I know yeah. exactly the picture that you're talking about yeah. as well. And it was, it was that sky. So everything about that, that's what I'd say from a football standpoint. But from a personal standpoint, I, you know, I, I, I told you kind of my grandfather's, I remember my earliest memories, you know, being snuck in, but... Um, you know, me, me granddad truly was, you talk about heroes, he was my hero. And that's, I remember kind of the last couple of years of his life and I cherished every moment and every game that I'd go to. So it's it's more that season of being with him in his final days uh, and the, the last couple of games and, and in particular that stands out. And I don't even want to mention the game because that's irrelevant. It was the fact that I was sat by his side um, you know, walking into that game and, and I don't think I watched the game, to be honest. I just watched him watch it, oh. you know. <laughs> Rob Glover, it's been incredible having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. And Thank you very much. Luck with everything you're up to. <laughs> Cheers. We will, we will follow you and your path. Uh, <laughs> and uh, doing all you did when you were 15, God knows what you will be doing when you are 60. <laughs> we, we will just sit here in awe and wait and wait Still watching it. the Reds no matter where we are at that point. <laughs> I know, you will. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and David Fairclub, thank you so much uh, as well. Always, Always yeah, it's, it's, it's the highlight of the week to, to catch up with David about the Reds. And my name is Ragnil Lund Ansnes, or 1-0 whatever you prefer. Um, (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. This has been a long one, but I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Take care until the next time. Bye-bye.